millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Episode one of New Sense. It is our absolute pleasure to be here. Hello. Chris is here as well. I'm here as well. I'm Chris. <laughs> How are you today, Chris? I'm really excited. Uh, th- th- this podcast has been something we've been looking forward to doing for a while, and I'm Really, really excited to finally be here actually doing it with you, Harry. I'm, yeah, really, this is, I'm stoked. This is how long has this been on the boil for? Like three, four months? Oh, it feels like, yeah, a very long time. Yeah, yeah, it's good. We're so excited to be here. Uh, we have a great show coming up for you today. Yeah. Uh, we, it's all right. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> uh, quick introduction to our segments. We are going to launch off into the fortnightly fact fight where we run down all of the relevant current events of the last fortnight to kind of bring you up to date as our audience. Uh, and then we're going to go into a little uh, sponsor segment, and then we're going to wheel away from that into our deep dive where we talk about one specific issue in depth. Uh, so yeah, that's the size of it. Shall we jump right in? I think we just need to jump in, yeah. Fantastic. Chris, why don't you take it away? Tell us what the first issue of the Fortnite has been. Right, so with our fortnightly fact fight, we're basically going to be breaking it up into three categories. Uh, issues pertinent to... The area sort of locally, we're based in southeast Queensland, uh, nationally being Australia and then internationally being the b- world. Uh, so we're going to start off with international issues. Uh, Hong Kong protests are continuing. Uh, they've been going for three months now, so this is clearly not just a, uh, a passing issue. These are here to stay. Yeah, and this is uh, it actually affects us as well on a quite personal right, level because right. we are recording out of the University of Queensland. We are, yes. We're at UQ right now. And uh, I think actually just about every single day that we've come in to plan or you know do stuff for this, we've seen uh, advocates for um, the protests around the campus. Yeah, so University of Queensland has quite a high population of um, foreign students, which is brilliant. We've got a very, very rich multicultural uh, society around here. Mm. And, yeah, a, a number of them are from China and Hong Kong. So there's been a lot of very tangible evidence of these right. protests happening around campus. And this isn't just specific to um, UQ. Uh, universities all around Australia, uh, we've been seeing a very similar issue where there's been, uh, you know, passionate voices from both sides of this debate, uh, even at some campuses, I understand, clashing over the issue. Absolutely. So we're going to actually do a deep dive on this issue in a future episode, so we're not going to go too deep into it now, but just update, it is still continuing. Mm. Uh, protesters have launched into using guerrilla tactics to avoid police detection. Uh, we'll be telling you exactly why and how in an upcoming episode. Uh, and protesters claim that they will not relent until their demands for democracy, uh, for democracy, for democracy uh, and interred protesters' release uh, are met. Wonderful. Okay, so, well, wonderful. Yeah, great. <laughs> Good <laughs> oh, adjective. Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo. Um, Okay, next uh, international issue on the agenda is Brexit, the never-ending Brexit. It's it's happening, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> uh, so uh, this is actually another big one um, of the international issues we're going to touch on, just mm. purely because of the economic ramifications and um, the fact that you know, obviously, Australia is still a colony. So what right. happens could Probably actually, nation, yeah. yeah, it could directly affect us in mm. the long run. Mm. 
uh, particularly if there's a crash out. Yes, and now Harry, uh, let's chat about this Scottish judge that you were telling me about before. Okay, so the most recent breaking news in the Brexit uh, happenings is a Scottish uh, panel of Scottish judges have ruled that Boris Johnson's proroguing of Parliament is unlawful. Which is really interesting because Scotland... Constitutional, I believe. The... Yeah, well, yeah. It's, it's the same thing, right. you know, going against the Constitution wow. and breaking the law. Um, That's crazy. <laughs> so what's happened is Boris Johnson yes. um, has basically gone to the Queen, which is a part of their Parliament that he can do, and said, right, I want to suspend Parliament for five weeks. This does happen occasionally, but five weeks is almost unprecedented. Especially is, uh, with yeah. the, the date coming out that it's meant to just happen by. Exactly. So basically it's Boris Johnson going, okay, things aren't really going my way. I'm going to make government stop so people can't disagree with me. Mm. Um, and a lot of people are understandably very angry about that. Right. The opposition party has called it a coup, uh, a coup d'etat, which wow. is, you know... Big words. Absolutely, yeah. Basically saying that... Them fighting words. Absolutely, yeah. yeah basically saying that, the, you know, they're, being, they're taking over government, which is, you know, never what you want. Right. Um, We've also had uh, what were secret documents uh, forcibly released by MPs uh, that warned of rising food and fuel prices. However, uh, British Tories have claimed that this was a worst-case scenario, so not quite sure what to make of that one. Well, the funny thing is here is like they're rapidly heading towards the worst-case scenario. Right, yeah. Like The deadline is October. They're rapidly heading for a no-deal Brexit, which mm. is very much the worst-case scenario. Mm. Um, and like I, I laugh at this because they said secret documents forced to be released. It's not a secret. <laughs> if they crash out, they know that the economy is going to plummet, fuel yeah. prices will rise, food will be scarce, jobs will be extremely hard to come by. Th yeah, but I think what's so kind of frightening for people about this is the fact that it's actually now been outlined in an official government document. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, they've come across this and, you know, funnily enough, people are still listening to the government, so when that they say right, something right. bad's <laughs> happening. Uh, but anyway, that's, again, we will deep dive more into that in the future episodes. Yeah. So moving on. Uh, and Harry, we do have one more international issue. Yes, Tasmania. Tasmania. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's an ongoing issue for the world at large, I know. Um, but no, um, the issue actually pertains to the Catholic Church, which is why we're describing it as an international issue. Um, essentially what has happened is some new laws have passed in Tasmania that would force priests to break the seal of confession if child sex abuse is suspected. Uh, and the Vatican has essentially said, no, we're not going to do that. Which is really interesting. I, I want to do some more research into this, talking about mm. how their domestic policy interacts with our national law. Right, yeah. Because, you know, what's going to be the consequences of, if a priest refuses? Or I suppose also, how would you know? I suppose that's the issue, isn't it? Right, it's, it's a weird... Because it's, yeah, it's a weird one to enforce. But, yeah, you can boil it down to the fact that, once again, the Catholic Church are being extremely uh, reticent mm. with... Child sex abuse policies. Yeah, the, a Tasmanian archbishop has claimed that the new laws will only make abusers less likely to come forward. Yeah, but like, what's the point mm. of them coming forward if you can't, re if you, they're not reporting in any way? Like, in, in so what <laughs> this archbishop is implying to me is if the law goes through, a pedophile will be like, oh no, I probably should say, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to break the law. <laughs> yeah, so. Uh, Generally, a uh, bit of a shitstorm there. Yeah, so this law's come about after the Royal Commission into Child Sex Abuse. So we will obviously be following this story uh, as it develops. Good stuff. Moving on to our national stories. National issues. Australia. What do we got first, Harry? Drug testing welfare recipients. Mm. So welfare participants would need to meet certain conditions or behave in certain ways to receive their payments under the new proposed government policy by the Liberal Party. Right, and this pertains to a cashless welfare card. 
uh, that cannot be used to withdraw cash, gamble, or buy alcohol. So obviously trying to kind of, um, uh, you know, stop issues of alcohol abuse, drug abuse, and gambling addiction. Yeah, which, as you made a very good point earlier when we were doing our research, that uh, this really perpetuates the current ideology of drug use as a criminal issue versus a health issue. Right, which is a a kind of discussion that's happening around the world right now, not just in Australia. This is getting talked uh, talked about a lot in America at the moment as well in their election cycle. Um, and I mean, yeah, this is a, this is an ongoing issue, I suppose, with the you know the war on drugs as it is uh, that I guess the Liberal Party is now just showing that it's you know staying conservative, I suppose, and sticking to it Shocker. as a yeah, I know, sticking to it as a uh, a, a criminal issue. And yeah. that's the approach that this government is clearly wanting to take. So, yeah, we're, we're waiting for... Um, I don't think a green statement had been issued quite yet when we looked at this story, but it will no doubt be coming. Uh, I dare say there will be quite a lot of opposition to this new policy. Um, mm, we'll see right. how it goes in yeah, Parliament. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how uh, Labor um, responds to this. I agree, yeah, because like, we know what the Greens are going to say. Right, and, and I don't think Anthony Albanese has really kind of made a real show of what kind of a leader he's going to be, what he's really going to stand for in that position. Yeah, well, it was that whole thing started by the Guardian podcast where they were calling his new policy approach bitch and fold. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, he'll complain about it and then go, yeah, you know what, actually, I right. think the Liberals have a point on this. Right, right. Which you could conceive as uh, him trying to take the Labour government in a right-wing direction in order to win back voters after the election, mm. which, you know, very clearly swung Conservative. Right, but I would have thought that the issue there was that Labour was being too conservative. No, actually, uh, that was not the case at all. So with um, the cabinet that... Uh, what's his name? I've forgotten him already. Shorten. <laughs> this is a lot, doesn't it? This is a news podcast. Yeah. Well, I, I think it says a lot about Shorten in general. Right. Um, right. But yeah, the, the cabinet that Bill Shorten was proposing was one of the most liberal governments since the Whitlam era, ah. which a lot of people don't really realise. Um, I don't know if more people were au fait with that, if that would have changed it. It might have even lost it for us worse. But uh, yeah, no, Anthony, Anthony Albanese has already been accused of trying to take the party in a conservative direction. Right. I suppose that makes sense at the moment. But yeah, yeah, it's kind of like, you know, at what cost? Like, it might be the way to gain back voters, but we'll see what happens in terms of uh, mm. effectiveness. Well, I suppose it just speaks more to the current larger political climate in Australia. But yeah, absolutely. That's, not, well, that's a conversation for later on. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, uh, next national issue we have pertains to Bupa, uh, aged care centres. 33% serious risk. Uh, pardon me. 33% serious risk to residents. Uh, worse record than any provider ever. So yeah, this has been a major breaking story recently. In that a number of aged care centres run by Bupa, the private health fund, were investigated, and a lot of them have turned out to be just genuinely awful. Incidents of abuse, malnourishment, medication mismanagement and sexual assault across some of these centres. Yeah, and obviously that pertains to all of us because we all have parents of some variety, um, right. you know, some some more so, some less. Well, I think it, 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 the reason that this is such a frightening story to people is because we're all, well, mo- almost all of us are going to get old. And exactly. a great deal of us are going to have to go into aged care and seeing that the system has such a widespread systematic problem of this scale is just kind of terrifying. I agree, yeah. yeah. So that's, a, that's been a really big story. Booper have issued a statement saying that they are investigating the issues, uh, but whether there'll be any consequences. Uh, the ABC made a good point when they said, you know, Booper are just too big to fail at this point. Right. So, you know, we can't really... Uh, the government can't really place any big 
uh, punishments upon them because they are one of the major private healthcare mm. funds. And they have been uh, having issues with the ATO. That's all I could find in the article I was reading was issues with the ATO. Uh, issues with the ATO? Yeah, I think we all... Doesn't everyone have issues with the ATO? Yeah, <laughs> You're not special, Booper. Fuck off. <laughs> Death and taxes. Yeah. Comes for us all out. That's very appropriate right now, actually. Uh, okay, moving on to our local issues. Yes. Uh, first up, we have the Olympic bid progressing. Uh, Anastasia Palaszczuk's Labour government is making a very large push at the moment uh, to make Southeast Queensland the uh, potential location for the 2032 Olympics. This has come after a uh, recent change to uh, some element of the, you know, uh, bidding process where now regions can apply for, uh, you know, the hosting rights for the games rather than just a city. So, yeah, essentially instead of it being Sydney or Melbourne or Brisbane, it's Southeast Queensland. So that's obviously making it a lot more of a potential location because now areas like the Gold Coast and mm-hmm. even as far as like out Toowoomba are being considered for events. And obviously we already have infrastructure at the Gold Coast because we recently had the Commonwealth Games there. So it's actually looking like a big possibility. So in comparison to some of our other stories, this may seem like a shallow point to touch on. Uh, but the consequences, if we manage to win the bid for the Olympic Games, Huge. that is... A massive economic booster. Huge. Uh, well, econ- well, it could be an economic booster. Oh, it, it certainly will be. It will generate local welfare, particularly for Queensland and potentially for Australia. Mm. But the the problem is essentially if all of the infrastructure that would be created is necessary, if it has longevity, uh, there is like potential for a population boom if this is to happen. Uh, mm-hmm. The extent to which that happens is, you know, hard to say. It, I, I guess it could go one of two ways. It could be like when we hosted the World Expo and suddenly Brisbane had all of these uh, infrastructure upgrades. But I think a lot of people are nervous because um, we look at what happened with Rio de Janeiro after their games hosting, which caused a lot of issues to the region. And of course, it's an entirely different climate between us and Mm -hmm. them. Um, But, you know, I guess there's just a lot of questions about is this the right thing for us to be doing? That's an interesting point, actually, because in doing uh, some research for our deep dive, which we will touch on later, uh, we were... Uh, the ABC was talking about what happened with the global financial crisis, mm-hmm. which was a lot of Australians had to return to Australia because they couldn't find work overseas, which caused a population boom, which means that our global GDP, our gross domestic product, had to spread further, which created economic problems in Australia. So, you know, if there is a population boom, if we have a lot of uh, immigrants coming at one time to come see the Olympics, if um, a lot of them choose to stay because of our, quite frankly, rather, rather wonderful nation... <laughs> Um, yeah, patriotism. <laughs> uh, it uh, that could have ramifications for the economy as well. Mm. Um, um, there is a proposed eighty thousand seat stadium that would be built in the event of our uh, bid being successful. Interesting. Okay, well we'll follow that up. That'd be good for big sports games, which I am notoriously a big fan of. Oh, we're just such sporty people. Me and Harry are often found at sport sports. Moving on to our <laughs> final, uh, our final local issue, uh, which is the bushfires currently raging uh, around southeast Queensland. So there's a bit of a relevant segue here in that um, uh, our premier for Queensland, Anastasia Palaszczuk, Anastasia was, Palaszczuk yes. was overseas making a bid for the Olympics and had to be called back early in order to host a emergency meeting mm. to decide what to do about the rampant bushfires. Yeah, the closest to Brisbane is less than ninety kilometres away. Yeah, which is like, what, an hour and 15 by car? Uh, yeah, if that, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, no, none of them are in threatening positions, we should add, at the no, moment. No, it's just sort of to give some, some scale and context to the, you know... It's, it's, I think because it's easy to, for, to forget just how close everything is. Absolutely. You know, yeah, it's, it's really easy to just think that 
it's so far away. Yeah, but in reality, not at all. And this is a developing issue because the Bureau of Meteorology says there will be no rain at all in the whole of Queensland in the immediate future. That's right, yeah. Yeah. Um, And uh, we've also seen reports that potentially 10 fires were intentionally lit. I think it was 8 out of 10. Eight, oh, so pardon me. Uh, yes, 8 out of 10. Oh, sorry, yes, sorry. I did, yeah. I did misread that. Part. Caused by yes. arson. Uh, there's been a couple of websites that have claimed this is true. Yeah, we had some weird uh, sources for this one, so we're kind of taking it with a grain of salt at the yep. moment, but we've seen it around a bit, so... What we can say definitively is that there has been an investigation launched by the Australian right. police in order to determine the extent of the arson. Mm. So uh, obviously we'll be following that story as well uh, as it progresses, and uh, our thoughts are with all those... Affected. Yeah, absolutely. Really, yeah. yeah, gorgeous. Um, yeah, you were saying your mum is up in Rockhampton? My mother, yeah, which is, uh, and th- th- she's not in any danger. It's just that my mother, as I am, is asthmatic. So, yeah. And also at my cafe, it's been very dusty. Oh, I'm sorry for your loss. <laughs> Truly, yeah. I've been, <laughs> <laughs> it's um, been really tough. <laughs> I also noticed you're having a lot of fun with this news, li- uh, li- news lingo, aren't you? News lingo, like what? As in, like, we'll follow this story up as it develops. Yeah, I feel like a big boy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, like that's a big news what we are. Yeah. Uh, moving on. That is the end of our fortnightly fact fight. We yeah. hope you enjoyed it and are a little bit more informed than you were 15 minutes yeah, ago. Yeah, and we hope that for every single one of those you didn't go, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> that's valid. Um, anyway, we're introducing a tiny little uh, segment in here called the Token Feel Good Story. Yeah. Take it away, Christopher. All right. So if you guys didn't see about this, uh, a distant planet named K218b has been discovered uh, with water in the atmosphere. Uh, it's 11 trillion light years away, so it's hard to analyse uh, before we develop superior telescopes, but it could be a potential life-supporting planet as it lies within the habitable zone of its solar system, which is essentially uh, the same spot in the solar system that we're in, which means it can support life akin to ours. Fun fact, you know what that's called? What? The Goldilocks zone. Why is it called that? Because it's not too hot. Oh, God! <laughs> it's not too cold. <laughs> it's just right. <laughs> I'm being serious, though. That is genuinely the term for it. That's brilliant. Um, Yeah, but in as little as 10 years, we could determine if the planet could contain gases produced by living organisms. That obviously doesn't mean that there's going to be intelligent aliens in there, but could be just some some sort of life. It's currently our best bet for it. Right, it's the closest we've ever, yeah. Absolutely. I'm a massive sci-fi nerd, so I'm very excited by this prospect. Yeah, he's um, a big nerd, but unlike me, I'm a big jock. I'm really cool. Yes. Sports. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, but the interesting thing, like 11, what is it? 100 trillion light trillion. years away. So if you were moving at literally the speed of light, which is the fastest speed we know, yeah. and we, we have no nothing even approaching, approaching to that right now, yeah. it would take you 111 trillion years, trillion years <laughs> to get there. So we would need to develop yeah. some sort of interspace travel that allows us to fold the galaxy in half in order to get there. Yeah, and also, if you want to be able to get there yourself, we're going to be able to live. 111. Still a fun fact, though. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. That is that segment over and done with. Thanks, Chris. That's all right, man. Um, uh, going on to our ad segment, I believe? Yeah, we are. We, we, uh, we, have, we had so many offers for ads this week, guys. <laughs> Loot Crate. Dollar Shave Club. Uh, I believe that... Squarespace. Squarespace. <laughs> they're all banging at the door. Of they're lining sense. up. Let us in. But we said, we said to them... No. So fuck off. 
That's yeah. Fuck off, loot crate. I said. We sent it to the most snail mail. They'll find yeah. out any week now. Yeah, no, it's good. It's, it's going there. Uh, so this week, uh, for our first week, obviously, we don't have any sponsors we yet. Don't, that we was made, a joke. We I made don't hate loot crate. Uh, <laughs> it's fine. Uh, we we did actually just want to take a moment to talk about what we're trying to do. Yeah. Here, so new sense was basically started by myself and Chris because we decided that. Well, not decided. There's obviously a lot of apathy towards the news, and we think that's mm. an incredibly poor thing. Like the, the yeah. thing that you need in a healthy democracy is an informed electorate. And we and we should specify that we don't think that it's our fault. No, because <laughs> no. it's it, it's a it's a generational thing. Everyone in our kind of age bracket, all our friends, have this general dis- disillusion and disenfranchisement with the news cycle and politics and everything. And it's very hard not to have, particularly when right. the media has just been going down the drain. It's fucking depressing. It's, yeah, yeah it's, it's really hard to stay informed when it's just so draining. Yeah, when there's so much yeah. as well. Like, we live in the information age. There's always an app binging off in the background. Mm. There's always something happening. It makes it incredibly hard to focus on things that are actually relevant and think critically, which none of us are taught how to do. Well, even when we were just on the you know news websites earlier today, just having a look around, there's just so much fluff there's so much even like even in like really well respected you know kind of uh, journalistic yeah like that article from the ABC that was like oh uh, uh, there's been filmed a mouse being caught by a redback spider in western Australia this is on like the, the front page of the website yeah it's like cool okay thank you <laughs> really glad I know that that's yeah. going to influence my daily and, life and that's, that's because that's the kind of story that people click on because that's comfortable. It's comfortable to read things like that. Yeah, so, you know, obviously we're not telling you guys anything new. We all know that this is the state of things. Mm. Uh, so Chris and I, in our own little way, are just trying to make things a little bit easier to digest and also trying to improve ourselves and our understanding of the world. Yeah, yeah, I guess the kind of dynamic between us, I'm, uh, I, I guess you'd say I'm the, the, the lovable larrikin of the podcast. I'm a bit less informed, you see. A little bit of a stupid head. Whereas Harry uh, is like... Oh, I've got glasses on and a button-up shirt. I know lots about the news. I t- I, two out of three of those things are correct. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll let you guess which. Uh, <laughs> also, the other thing we just wanted to touch on briefly is how we actually approach the news and what our uh, values in regards to current affairs are. Right, because we just we can't just pretend that we're apolitical. You yeah. Know? <laughs> because, you know, there's that old philosophy of there's no such thing as unbiased news, which I'm actually a firm believer in, no matter mm. how hard you try to be unbiased there's also some inherent bias in what you report your perspective on that mm. uh, etc so we're going to be straight up with the fact that we probably identify pretty left yep uh, and we're not going to pretend that we don't because news is only ever useful in a human context yep. but we will make every effort to uh, put forth other opinions that are valid even if they're not necessarily ones we agree with absolutely um, that so is very much important to our kind of ethical code, I, believe, I would want to say. Yeah, absolutely. So we're approaching, we're trying to explain the news to you and to ourselves and try to get a better grip on it and try and be a bit funny, but we're also going to be our best to be professional in the way that we portray stories. Absolutely. That's uh, our pledge to you. <laughs> <laughs> so that's our little uh, segment for this episode done. Let's run up into our deep dive. Let's do it. Harry, what's our deep dive for this week? So, just introduction to the segment, our deep dive is where we're going to cover in depth a specific issue for each week. And relevant to this week, the GDP figures, our gross domestic product figures, were just reported. So, we're starting off with a pretty hefty challenge. Hey, Harry, I didn't understand any of that. What are you talking about? (laughs) Okay, today we're talking about the economy. The what? The economy, Chris. The what? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What's What's the economy? 
Okay, so just before I get to that, talking about economy is a really big challenge for our first episode. Yeah. It's, it's not really our area of specialty for either I'll, of us. I did economics in year 11. Yeah, cool. So I've studied a little bit at university. Um, I have a journalist grasp on it, more or less. Uh, we've obviously done our research in lead up to this segment. Mm. We are just trying to explain what we know to explain to you and try and get a very, like, economics for dummies grasp on it and how it will affect us. In our yeah, the dummies lives. being us. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. We are the dummies in this situation. Uh, and so hopefully that will translate to a layman's perspective. Mm-hmm. So, you had a question? I did. I, my question is, what is the economy, Harry? Okay, well, the economy is... At the absolute basics, money. It is how money is transferred and flowed between government, between business, between personal lives uh, on a national, international, and um, personal level. That is my best understanding of it. Uh, It's a very broad term. It's an umbrella term that's used to refer to a lot of things. In this particular context, we are talking about our gross domestic product figures and how that affects Australia, in terms of a national uh, portrayal, and in terms of our personal lives. What is a GDP? How does that relate to us? Okay, so GDP is gross domestic product. Mm -hmm. It is the entire amount of money that Australia makes as a country. Right. Uh, So I believe it tallies in something like 1.3 trillion. I think it's 1.2 trillion, actually. That's a lot. It is a lot. Uh, We're actually the 13th largest... I think we're the 16th. No, I'm sure on this fact. I looked it up before. (laughs) We're the 13th. <laughs> the 13th largest economy in the world. We'll cut that. <laughs> Sorry, I don't look like a No, we won't. <laughs> uh, so we're the 13th largest economy in the world, um, which gives us a lot of clout on an international level. We got that clout, boy. I'd, 13 is so much higher than I thought we would be. Yeah, yeah. We were saying this before because we were just, you know, doing some research on it. I could not believe we were that high. Yeah. Uh, so that gives us a lot of clout on economic policies. That's why we're part of the G20. Mm. Um, and it is why we get say on a lot of international economic policies. Uh, so that affects how we interact with our foreign policy as right. well. So uh, economics are particularly um, relevant right now because the world is not in the best place economically speaking. No, hasn't there been some sort of frightening economic news lately? Yeah, so specifically pertaining to Australia, uh, we so the gross domestic product reports were released on Wednesday, uh, which is basically you know a quarterly report, uh, economics is divided into quarters, financial quarters, where the government releases their figures and tell us exactly what's going on. And boy, did the Liberal parties do their best to spin a bad situation. There was a really good line from The Guardian talking about our treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, uh, and how he was trying to spin it so that you may have lost one arm, but at least you've still got the other one. <laughs> so uh, our economic growth has been the slowest it's been since the 2007-2008 global financial crisis. Right, the big one. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we didn't actually enter into recession. That's good. Yeah, thanks to a combination of good luck and good planning from the government at the and time. And we had a pretty hefty surplus at that point. Yeah, we did. So that's all. Well, it, it, I'll talk about surpluses in a bit. Okay. But um, yeah, scaling back, you actually have to go back to the 1990s where Australia had its last recession for the numbers to get this bad. So that was 1991 where we had the last great Australian recession. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are the only major developed country to have avoided a major recession since 1992. That's crazy. Yeah, we've actually we've got an extremely solid economy. I cannot stress that enough. Uh, we've had stable economic growth for years and years and years, um, and we're doing extremely well overall. Um, my next question, Harry, mm-hmm. is what is economic stimulus? 
Okay, well, let's uh, let's put this into perspective. Economic stimulus is how you uh, stimulate your economy. You right. make you make the grow faster, basically. So ours is extremely sluggish at the moment. How do we get economic stimulus? That is through government spending for a start. So spending on infrastructure, spending on health, uh, and um, consumer spending. So uh, local level spending. Us, mm-hmm. the consumers, spending money to uh, support businesses, which then have more money to spend on their uh, products and imports and exports, and it just makes the whole thing tick along even better. So that's how we promote economic growth. Yeah. That was my next question anyway. Fantastic. <laughs> well, touching, let's, I think, let's talk about the two parties. So okay. we've got Labour and Liberal. Uh, Liberal, their traditional thing is economic conservatism. Right. So their whole building block is that they want to put us as far into surplus as they can. You would have heard in the election, the 2016 election, and talking all the time about putting Australia back in the black. Oh, the, oh this election, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sorry, not the 2016, I was thinking America. <laughs> uh, yeah, the most recent election, talking about putting Australia back in the black, talking about how Labour are going to come in and tax everyone to death and uh, how that's going to affect you negatively. Uh, which is actually not the case, because for a government to be stable, you need to tax, but you also need to spend. And we're fortunate that we have a really good balance where liberals get in and they tax, Labor get in and they spend the money that they have taxed in order to stimulate the economy. Mm-hmm. However, Labor hasn't got in. Right, the last time they were in was 2013. Yeah, and that puts us in an interesting situation where the liberals are being forced to spend because of sluggish economic growth. So mm. these are the figures before tax cuts. So we're just about to come into tax cuts and tax incentives. Uh, which is where the whole budget thing happened, which is not usually what the Liberals do. Usually the Liberals are very against spending government money, but they're kind of being forced to in this situation uh, in order to promote some sort of stable economic growth. Uh, Usually that's what Labour swing towards, but this time it's the Liberals because they don't really have much of a choice. Right. Uh, Any thoughts, comments, queries? So Um, far, you following? I'm following, yeah. Um, My next question is, what is a budget? Cool. Very (laughs) relevant question. So the budget is a uh, mandate from the government about how they're going to spend and how they're going to tax. Mm -hmm. A budget surplus is quite simply when they tax more than they spend and we are in a good economic situation, a good fiscal scale. So if we were in complete surplus, that would put us in a very small percentage of developed nations. Right. Who's there at the moment? No one. No one. So when I say very small, I mean... Okay. Not the smallest, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Being in the complete, being completely debt free as a country is almost unheard of. Uh, wow. So that would put us in a really strong economic position. However, it also means that we're not spending anything in our society. Right, we're just kind of hoarding our wealth. Yeah, exactly, and that really, really slows us down as a society. So in order, in order for the economy to grow, you need to spend some money. You ever mm-hmm. heard the expression "you need to spend money to make, make money"? money yeah. Very, very true on an economic level. Um, so it's kind of the question of do the liberals want to put us back into black or do they want to stimulate our economy? Mm. I guess that kind of um, ties into my penultimate question, mm-hmm. um, which sort of, yeah, is just how do economic and social policy intersect? And that really kind of, I suppose, speak to this idea of economic and social conservatism and liberalism yeah. uh, and how they kind of interact and this perception that they kind of have to go hand in hand and can't kind of exist separately from one another. Sure, sure, sure. Okay, well, everything takes money, mm. right? So if you want to spend money on roads, on infrastructure, on healthcare, on Medicare, you need to have that money in the first place. Right. So that's where the Liberals come in. They uh, don't put in as many tax cuts, they heighten tax, they try and be as conservative with the economy as possible, and that's where the impression that the Liberal Party is good with money comes from. Mm. It's like, you know, a lot of people who own small businesses, a lot of uh, farmers, a lot of uh, rural towns, it's like, okay, so surely the country having money is a good thing. They're absolutely right. And liberals, a lot of the time is how we get there. 
because Labour, their policy is tax and spend, not conserve. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's also something you need. You need to spend money on the way your country runs. Right. So where the social issues intersect with this is what the government parties are willing to spend money on. Right, okay. So the Liberals are historically not as willing to spend money on things like Medicare, on social um, uh, social aids, right, right. basically. So, you know, you had, uh, if we scale all the way back to one of the most leftist governments we had, which was the Whitlam era government, mm-hmm. uh, we had a really, really good era for Medicare there. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and like a bunch of other things, like, you know, uh, university fees, um, all that kind of stuff came out of the Whitlam era. Um, Hexted, I think, was Whitlam. Um, we'll yeah. fact check that. We'll fact check that. We'll yeah. come back to that. What we mean when we say we'll fact check... What we mean when we say we'll fact check it is go Google it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wikipedia. Yeah. No, we, we do try to fact check all of our things with uh, good sources. Yeah. yeah. Ish. With good sources. Good sources. Right. Uh, so, yeah, socially... Why, why can we not have conservative economic policy, but sort of, I suppose, liberal uh, spending policy socially? Okay, so it is like, you know, I'm simplifying everything here. It is, as always, a lot more complex than that. Right. Uh, the parties have their own ingrained social agendas. It doesn't just come down to economics. Mm. So if the Liberal Party gets in, they're much more likely to spend money on tax incentives for businesses because they build themselves as a business-friendly party. Uh, whereas Labour are much more likely to spend money on um, things such as Medicare and things such as... Um, what's the, give me some examples. Oh, um, I mean, you'd probably look at, like, university spending and things like that and kind of... I'm drawing blanks. <laughs> yeah, no, that's completely fine. So, um, like, one of the big things that Labour polo- uh, promised in the last election was infrastructure for Queensland. Right, like hospitals yeah, and... health yeah, spending. Yeah, yeah government transport. spending. Transport transport things like that. Roads. So interestingly enough, the two things that have really been our saving grace in the local GDP, in the, the recent GDP figures, gross domestic product figures, which were just released, uh, is two things: government spending. So the Liberals actually have been spending a fair amount of stuff mm. on, uh, as you said, because they've kind of had they've to. kind of had to, yeah. yeah. And exports. Exports is a really interesting thing in this situation. Uh, one of our biggest economic advantages is the fact that we just have so much land. Just so much. And the, in that land, there is stuff. There is minerals. So much resources. Mm. Coal and gas, natural gas, yep. have been two of the biggest drivers behind our consistent economic growth for right. the last 20 to 30 years. We just years. keep digging up coal and people want it. Yeah, it's it's virtually at the moment limitless. But as we know, it's not limitless. It's not. That's the whole point of fossil fuels. Yeah. yeah. So Australia is actually trying to move away from the whole coal industry and mm. gas because we, like, on a certain level, we know that it's going to run out. Right, right. That's just fact, yeah. Yeah, so we're trying to transition into a service economy. The problem is, though, that the coal industry and all those, you know, related industries are so heavily built up at the moment. Yes, and absolutely. And contains so many jobs. Yeah. Um, that there's this huge fear of moving away from that. Absolutely. And the Liberals are very much on their side. They're very much like, okay, coal and gas, they've worked so far, let's just keep going at them until we've completely flogged the dead horse to death. Right. The dead horse... To, to, the dead uh, horse is dead again. The, in, re-killed, yes. The re-killed <laughs> horse. Um, so, yeah, that is one of their major mandates, and a lot of people are on board with that, well, because it's it's made us rich. Mm. It's worked so far. Right. Um, but uh, it's not where the national trend is going. We are trying to transfer into a more of a service economy that's based more on our actual citizens and the service areas that they work in, uh, which is the same thing that China's doing, mm-hmm. incidentally. Um, so... So the fact that we're relying on exports for our economic growth at the moment is really interesting. It's a really big hallmark of the Liberal Party and mm-hmm. exactly how they do business. 
but it will not work forever, as has been proven by the GDP figures just released, because our GDP has slowed remarkably, and that has a lot of people worried about a recession. What is a recession? Well, Chris, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> uh, a recession is measured by two quarters where gross domestic product has gone into negatives, where it has not grown, it has shrunk. Okay. Uh, so the consequences of that, in real world terms, in terms of like you and me, are less jobs. Right. Unemployment rates. Across the board. Across the right. board. Unemployment not just rates in will, mining and, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, some of the biggest affected contingents of society are young workers and unskilled workers. Right. It is incredibly hard to pick up a job in a recession. Because when we're in that state, it's not just like, oh, there's less coal jobs and there's less this and that. There's less money flowing around. Yes. So less people are spending money on everything, on going to the cafe, going to a bar for a drink, everything. Exactly. Everything yeah. suffers. So businesses uh, can't afford as much wages. Therefore, people don't have as much money. Therefore, they can't afford to spend as much. Therefore, businesses can't pay as much wages. Therefore, people don't have enough money and the cycle continues. Right. Uh, and we've been in a really good state because our GDP is rising. So all those figures rise with them. But if we go into a recession, things will start to look pretty bad on the social scale relatively quickly. Right. Uh, so... The question on everyone's minds is, is Australia heading for a recession? And the answer is, we don't know. Yeah, it's not really a thing you can just say. Yeah. It's happening. It's there are definitely, like, ill tidings. Yes. Um, but not enough yet to say for sure what's going to happen. Absolutely. Like, current economic theory holds, holds that a recession is inevitable. Mm. It will happen eventually. Right, it's got to happen. It's, yes. Yeah. yeah, it's just a question of how we manage it and when it happens. Right. Is there anything that the average consumer can do right now to prevent that from happening? Um, only only in, so much of, uh, in so much as your political leanings, really. I mean, we're stuck with the Liberal government for another two to three years. Mm -hmm. uh, how their policies adapt in the coming years will be interesting to watch. But realistically, on a personal level, all you can do is save. Save some money, put it aside just quick as if a recession hits, you're going to need it. Uh, try and upskill yourself as much as possible. Uh, so that if there is less jobs, you won't be affected as much personally. This is all just like personal, person-to-person -person advice. Uh, in terms of larger level advice, not really a whole lot until the next election rolls around because what a government does is based on the mandate it gets from the people. And the mandate it was, the Liberal Party was given in the last election was not very definitive. All that we really told them as a society was that they didn't have to be Labour. Mm. So in terms of economics, they're going, all right, well, we've got this plan, which isn't much of anything. Mm. If they broke... Yeah. yeah, exactly. And the Australian got like the Australian people by electing them have gone, yeah, right. Right. So they're sticking to their guns currently. We'll see how that works out for us. Um in the long run. In the meantime, just try and stay abreast of the news with us. I do just have um one more question about yeah, the kind of pertaining to the economy. Can I have thirty dollars? Yes. With a seven percent interest rate. Due, just as there is, if we get a recession, that's when the interest will be due. That sounds like a good deal to me. <laughs> uh, don't do that. That's my number one piece of advice. Don't give Chris money. Yeah. Cool. So I guess that kind of wraps up our little deep dive into the economy, Harry. Yeah. Uh, we hope and we hope we've given you something of a deep dive into the economy for dummies. Us. Yeah, us. <laughs> uh, we try to understand it as much as possible in layman terms. I mm. think we, we did all right. So yeah. This is our first episode. We will always be learning as we go. Mm. Um, so I won't be. I'm going to stay bad. I will always be learning as Sounds we good. go. Sounds good. And Chris will be here. I'll be here. <laughs> 
Yep. <laughs> um, so I guess all that's left to say is thank you so much for coming along with us on our first little adventure into the news. Oh, God, it's been fun. Yeah, it has. I've had a lot of fun. It's I think been... that went pretty well. Oh, yeah. We'll see, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Uh, did you want to do our little uh, acknowledgement section? I've been talking a lot about the economy. Yeah, so we just had a few uh, thank yous, a few acknowledgements for a couple parties uh, that have really helped us out so far. Uh, first of all is the Department of Journalism at the University of Queensland for allowing us to record in their excellent facilities. Just a quick aside here, uh, our views do not in any way represent the University of Queensland. The yes. only way we are affiliated with them is that we record in their lovely space. Uh, our podcast is our own and our views are our own. Thank you so much. Yeah, um, we want to thank That's Not Canon Productions for producing and hosting us, specifically Zane C. Weber, who has worked so hard helping us out. Uh, commonly referred to in Brisbane as the Podfather. The Podfather. Uh, our theme and music has been created by the delectable your man Alex Smith uh, you can follow him on all the usual social media platforms I'm sure we'll have some links to that around ours if you can't find them yourself absolutely check him out um, and good. please check out his music on Spotify uh, your man Alex Smith spelled exactly the way you would think it is <laughs> uh, and I believe we had a shower thought to uh, see us out for the episode yeah so we are going to end every episode on something interesting or uh, fun or unusual that we've learned during the week and my current one is this Lemons never existed until we made them. <laughs> there was originally a fruit called a citron. They uh, still exist. It, it, <laughs> yeah, there, there, there is still a fruit called a citron. And lemons were made by crossbreeding that with a variety of orange. Uh, so life never gave us lemons. We created them. How did they get an orange and a citron to fuck? And Thank on you for that, that note... <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to us. Uh, thank you for being on this crazy roller coaster with us. We had so much fun here today. Please tune in in two weeks for episode two. We'll see you then. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.